God is with us. Father, we thank you for your goodness, and we thank you for your mercies that endure forever and ever and ever. Father, we thank you that you're leading us, you're guiding us, you're directing our paths, and we thank you for the Holy Spirit that lives big in me tonight. Thank you that you will think through my mind and speak through my lips as the very oracles of God. Father, we understand and know that it's not enticing words of man's wisdom that changes anyone's life, but it's through demonstrations and revelations of your spirit, your power, and your word. And Father, we thank you for that. So Father, we thank you for revelation of your word, illustration of your word, and impartations of the Holy Ghost that enable us to walk out what we have heard. And Father, we thank you in advance and we give you glory for all good things in Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. You may be seated. Well, I thank you for all for putting up with me during this time. And you know, and the Bible says, though, that he that endureth to the end. <laughs> you got chapter and verse for it. Thank God for it. And uh, we appreciate your pastors and appreciate you and appreciate the good spirit that we have here at the church. It's just easy. No demons in the rafters or nothing. <laughs> you know, we was talking about it. The pastor was uh, sharing about an experience that a gentleman, Brother Hagin, used to call Dead Goodwin, Mom and Dad Goodwin, he, he was preaching in a, a church, a pastor in a church. He was in the Assemblies of God on back way back yonder. And he was pastor in a church, and uh, in this particular church, it was just tough. I mean, hard to preach. It seemed like it, uh, every time he'd get up, he'd get in, anointed, but get in the pulpit, and it just wouldn't come out of him. He even had uh, invited uh, uh, Dr. Kenneth e. Hagin, Dad Hagin, we call him the term of endearment, you know, yeah. while he was here. Uh, he invited him to come preach, and it was just so tough. He said the words that Brother Hagin said when he would preach, and, and uh, Pastor Goodwin's church, it just the words would just bounce off the wall and almost beat him up, you know, <laughs> like somebody was hitting him with a bat. And so Mr. Goodwin, the Pastor Goodwin, decided he was going to pray about it because he didn't know what was going on. The people were wonderful people, good people, loved one another, loved him. They all got along good, but it was just something about it. So he started fasting and praying. As he began to fast and pray and began to seek God about what was wrong, and this will dovetail in with what I'm going to share tonight, uh, part of what I'm going to share uh, anyway. Uh, but uh, he started fasting and praying because when you don't know what to do, you pray until you do know what to do. Amen. I said, when you don't know what to do, you pray until you do know what to do. And so he started fasting and praying. He would walk and pray, kneel and pray, sit and pray, you know, and then meditate on the word some. And, and he was up on the platform and uh, he had, uh, I think he had laid down up there or something. Isn't that right, uh, Brother Goodwin had? And he was just laying up there on that platform, you know, because he'd done sought God and sought God and sought God. And all of a sudden, the ceiling disappeared. And it had rafters like a, a home would have. It wouldn't be like this structure but a rafter, a ceiling, and a rafters above it, you know. And the ceiling disappeared, and he looked up into the ceiling, and guess what he saw? He saw a big baboon-looking creature that was a demon hanging up there. The demon come to church more faithful than the saints did. In fact, he lived in the church. The demon did. Now, that's, that boggles the human mind, but he saw that thing and said, I command you to come down from there in the name of Jesus. And that thing, kerflop, come down. He said, I command you to get out of here. And it ran out of the church and it changed from night till day. 
as far as the anointing being released in that particular church. He had Dan Hagen come back, administer, didn't tell him what had happened. And afterwards, he said, can you tell a difference? He said, oh, yes, a difference between night and day. When you don't know what to do, pray until you do know what to do. Amen. And talking about the nation, you know, our nation is not hopeless. I want you to know that. You know, that Israel, it seems as if from what I, I can see and hear, and uh, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu uh, made a speech today, you know, and I, I made sure he, he was speaking in Hebrew, and knowing where I come from in Georgia, we knew a whole lot about homebrew, but we didn't know anything <laughs> about it, you know. Listen, I'd be a multi-millionaire today if my Uncle Bill had known we could have run cars off of moonshine whiskey. I'm telling you the truth about it. They call it ethanol, corn whiskey. Wow. Yeah, that's what it is. Yes, sir. I don't know if y'all, we got a, you Kentucky and y'all know about that corn whiskey. I'm telling you, they put something in it so you can't drink it because it does and it can't kill you. But that's all it is, is corn liquor. I'm, I'd have been a millionaire. Because <laughs> Uncle Arthur F. Greer, you remember him? That's my daddy's brother. Y'all know Arthur, don't you? Yeah, that's a hit, you know? He plowed with mules. He had a mule named Kate, and he had Jack and Jill. That was two asses. Now, that's not cursing, you know? That, but that's what they call those animals, you know? You could call them a donkey to be kinder, kinder, but that's the real word for them. And he had them. One of them was named Jack. One of them was named Jill. Jack and Jill, come up now, Jill. And one thing about Uncle Bill, though, he couldn't plow unless he had some of that uh, mountain brew in him. I mean, because <laughs> the mule didn't know what he was saying, and Jack and Jill didn't know what he was saying. But, uh, and, and he actually outlived most of his uh, brothers and sisters. There was 10 of them, and he outlived them. And I asked my mama, I said, Mama, I said, how did Uncle Bill, you know, with all that drinking that whiskey and homemade whiskey and what they call it, moonshine, you know, in the country. I said, how in the world did he live as long as he did drinking all that stuff? She said, oh, honey. She said, uh, all the rest of them were pickled, but he was preserved. <laughs> he didn't drink so much of it. He didn't preserve his physical body. Now, I'm not telling you to go try that. I'm not. So don't be trying that new fad. But the, the country is not hopeless and it's not helpless. But I do know this, if, you, if you'll allow me to share it, I'll just share some things and uh, not in line exactly with what I believe the Lord wants me to share, but because I believe what I'm going to share, the Lord kept dealing with me about it, dealing with me about it. But uh, what, in our country, what happens is the church, are you ready? is behind in prayer. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. What we're doing is we're praying catch up. We should be praying into the future, but what's happening is we're either praying into the present or we haven't fully prayed out the past. And that's what's happening. A lot of times, the things that's going on, even in the election, the last presidential election, People tried to change it after it already happened. And that's, remember, I spent two weeks fasting and praying. And the reason I did, it wasn't because I was just going to do it for two weeks and stop. I was going to seek God. And of course, fasting doesn't change God, but it put me in a position so I could hear from God. Right. And the Lord said to me during this process, he said, the problem is, he said, people are trying to change now what they should have been praying about three years ago. Yes, sir. 
He said, these things don't happen overnight. Some of these things don't. It takes time to pray out things, and that's why the Bible encourages us, don't be weary in well-doing, for in due season, you're gonna reap if you faint not. So it's not time to be discouraged. And so even though we've got problems in our nation in the political realm, and in fact, the economic realm, the social realm, you know, and, and all the other realms of our nation that's going on now, it's not beyond hope. Amen. God can still bring change. You know how many of us, and I know you did too, we prayed about abortion, you know, and about that many prayers have went up about stopping the murder of innocent babies. You know what I mean? And then, of course, the Lord arranged for Mr. Trump to be in there. Then he appointed to the Supreme Court some people. And then when the vote came up again, it was struck down because it should have never been struck up anyway. It should have never been passed. And we know it's still back down to the states, but states, it's got good sense. I know in our state, they put forth legislation about abortion. And I don't know if Kentucky is or not, but about it to try to curb that even some more, you know, and, and, and stop some of this because, I mean, nobody should be killing their children. You know what I mean? There ain't no way you should be doing that. But anyway, some of these things that, that have crept up on us uh, it's because that we didn't pray in the past. I'm not just talking about you. I'm talking about the body of Christ as a whole. But believe it or not, there are probably many people in the body of Christ, many, many in this nation that don't understand what you and I understand about spiritual authority. And so we are outnumbered in that area because we don't have uh, much of the church world don't know how to pray this way but we don't have to have the entire church world. What we gotta have is people that know how to pray and will pray and take their authority. I would encourage you, if you've never read the vision of the three frogs, <laughs> I'd encourage you to get it. I believe you can find it in the triumphant church by Brother Hagin. You know, he had a vision, I think it was in 1970 and 1979 and he saw out of the Atlantic Ocean three creatures come up. Now, they wasn't frogs. He just didn't know how to describe it. It was spiritual beings. And he saw these creatures coming about to land on the shores of the United States and how they was going to cause havoc in the United States, in the political realm, the economic realm, the social realm, and disturbances that would go on everywhere. And so... Uh, in 1970, he had that. And then 1979, he had a similar vision about this same thing. They call it the vision of the frogs. All you gotta do is look up frogs, you know. But it wasn't frogs. It was just spiritual entities. And Jesus spoke to him in 1979. He said, if my people had done what I told them to do back in 1970 and prayed about these things, he said, all these riots, tumults, and disturbances, and the political disheaval, upheaval and, uh, that's going on, and all the economic problems that you have in this nation going on, he said, if they had prayed, he said, they would have never had this problem in this nation. You would have never had it. And he said, in fact, he said, I'm holding the church responsible for the president's mistakes. Hello. Brother Hagin said when Jesus told him that, he fell on his knees at the feet of Jesus and began to weep and cry and repent because he realized that he hadn't prayed like he should have prayed. And Jesus went on to tell him, he said, now when you tell people this, talking about the church, he said, many will laugh. 
He said, but you wait before they stand, you wait until they stand before my judgment seat and see if they laugh there. Because all of us are gonna stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So these things that are going on in our nation is simply because the church as a whole, as a whole is behind in praying for the nation. We need to pick up praying for the nation every day of our life. We need to pray for the presidential office. You know, and, and talking about Mr. Biden, I pray that Mr. Biden doesn't go to hell. I pray that none of his family, his son, you know, I, and, and, and that made mistakes and done all kinds of things, you know, and, and they claim that there's all kinds of illegal stuff that happened and, and going on, and I, I think they got proof of it and all that kind of stuff. But I tell you, what I pray for too is not, I pray for the person, don't get me wrong, but I pray for the office, that position, that place, because the presidential office is a place of authority. And that's why the devil wants to control it. And that's why he wants to control the Congress. That's why he wants to control the Supreme Court. There are times in the spirit that God will have me call people's names in the spirit and take authority over things that I have no knowledge of, but God does when I'm in the spirit. I mean, but I pray for them. I pray for Congress and I call out people's names as the Lord leads me to. And then I take authority over all the evil spirits because you and I have to take authority over evil spirits. Jesus appeared to Dad Hagen in Broken Bow, Oklahoma, and that's southeast Oklahoma, down there in the corner. He appeared to him in Broken Bow, Oklahoma, and in the parsonage was a house that the pastor lived in, in a little Assembly of God church. It's a little wood frame Assembly of God church. Now that same place is still there, but they built a nice brick facility now, that Assembly of God. The population back then, I don't know, but probably five or 600 people because when I was there last, the population was only 2,200. So Jesus can do big things in small places. He can. He, he will. He appeared to a dad again and he said, I've come to teach you about devils, demons, and evil spirits, how they operate and how they will even get a hold of Christians if Christians will allow them to. But the thing I'm telling you about that for, and I'm not telling the whole story, is that Jesus told him because a demon ran between he and Jesus and making this racket and he put out this smoke screen and he couldn't hear what Jesus was saying and he couldn't see Jesus anymore and he was concerned because Jesus didn't do something about that devil. And he was thinking to himself, why don't Jesus do something about this demon? I can't hear him. Don't he know? Don't you know Jesus? You know, he's thinking to himself that I need to get this revelation because he had never heard anything like that before his, in his lifetime by his own admission, you know? And so Jesus never done anything about the devil. So Dad Hagen, in frustration and desperation, said this to this demon. He said, I command you to shut up and stop in Jesus' name. And immediately, immediately, that devil shut up, stopped, and hit the floor and lay there shaking and shimmering in the spirit. Amen. And he said, I command you to leave. And the thing got up and run off. Jesus looked at Brother Hagen and said to him, he said, if you had not done that, I could not have done it. And, and Brother Hagin responded to him. He said, dear Lord, I know I didn't hear you correctly. You meant to say, Lord, that you didn't want to do something about it, not that you could not do something about it. Can you imagine that? The King of Kings and Lord of Lords is telling you that he couldn't have done anything about the devil. And Jesus told him, he said, no. He said, that's not what I said. He said, I told you 
if you had not done something about that demon, made it go in my name, he said, I could not have made it go. And he said, Brother Hagin said he got concerned and thought it was something wrong with his hearing, so he grabbed his earlobe and shook it, you know. <laughs> Make sure if it was stopped up, he could get all the crickets out or whatever it was blocking his hearing. And he said, dear Lord Jesus, and he said it politely. He said, I know I misunderstood you. You meant to say that you didn't want to do anything about that devil, not that you could not do anything about that demon. And Jesus looked at him and said, no. He said, I told you if you had not done something about that devil, I could not have done something about it. So Brother Hagin said that he opened his mouth as he was known to do. He said, that's his own testimony, and put his foot in it. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's good country talk for city folks. If you never put your foot in your mouth, babies do, little babies put their feet in your mouth. I don't know if you've got ambidextrous enough to do it. Did you ever, you've seen the little babies, they'll put their toes in, you know, in their mouth. And I think, man, they can wiggle and giggle, can't they? You know? They can do that. But uh, he said, he spoke up to Jesus. And he said, Jesus? He said, even though I see you just as real as i ever seen anybody in my life, He said, I can't accept this unless you can give me at least two to three witnesses in the Bible that proves to me what you're saying is true. And Jesus told him, he said, I'll give you one better. He said, I'll give you four witnesses in the New Testament that proves to you that what I'm telling you is true. And then he said, he opened his mouth up real big then. He said, dear Lord Jesus. And he wasn't bragging, just telling the truth. He said, I've read the New Testament through 150 times and portions of it more than that. And he said at that time in his life, he could quote about three quarters of the New Testament. After he got born again, it was kind of a gifting that came on him. In fact, there was a guy in prison, a Lottie Da, he mentioned him the other night. Lottie Da got gloriously born again, gloriously born again. And once he was born again, he was, had been a drug addict. He got involved in the robberies with a gang and a police officer got killed and, and uh, most all of them got the death sentence, but he was the youngest one. So he got life without parole because he didn't pull the trigger. He had nothing to do with it, but it was still a horrendous bad crime. Yeah. You know. But when he got born again, and it's a long story, the Lord led me to him supernaturally to lead him to him and it took a period of time. But once he got born again, he had a gifting that come upon him that he could read a chapter in that Bible. We would make him do it. He'd read a chapter and we'd get the long ones too, the long chapters. And have him read it. Just, I mean, not sit there and meditate on it, just read it, close the Bible, and he would stand up in that little old chapel that would seat 40 to 50 people and recite that whole chapter back to us. See, when you get born again, it will increase your mentality. I'm telling you something, you're smarter than you think you are. <laughs> You got God living inside of you. So Dad Hagen told Jesus, he said, I've read the New Testament through 150 times, portions of it more than that. And he said, if there's anything in there like that, Jesus, he said, I sure don't know it. And Jesus looked at him and smiled sweetly and he said this to him. Jesus said to him, he said, son, there's a lot of things in there that you don't know. (laughs) So what does that tell us? There's a difference between information about the Bible and revelation about the Bible. There's a lot of informational churches. The Lord gave me a message. You can find it on my website. In fact, Dr. Dufresne and the Fresh Oil Magazine, way back yonder, they printed that message in there where the Lord gave me about informational churches and revelational churches. 
There's a lot of churches that have information, but they don't have revelation and like this church has. And so the revelation is what's going to help you. So Jesus went through the scriptures and showed him four different witnesses and references where four people said it. In other words, one of the things, the main thing is Jesus told him, he said, when I ascended up on high, he said, what I've done is I delegated my authority on earth to my body, the church, the born again believer. And he said, now if, I, if the, my authority is going to be exercised, it must be exercised through my body, through the church, which means through you and through me. And so we have to bind these spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and command them to take their hands off the presidential office. Command them to take their hands off of Congress. Command them to take their hands off Supreme Court, off the state governors and state governments and the city and county and public officials. We have to do that in the name of Jesus because they don't know that. It's the demons trying to control and operate. So don't get concerned and of course, I know you've probably prayed for Israel and we, we believe God for that, but it looks like that they're headed to a full-scale war based on what the prime minister, Mr. Netanyahu, said today. Yes, you know, they're going, he said, that it's gonna be something that, that they're gonna remember from generation to generation to generation. In other words, they're going to teach them a lesson. And I'm telling you the reason it is, it started back yonder with Mr. Bush. Remember I told you about my experience in that uh, night vision, you know. I have night visions. I don't have dreams because old men dream dreams and young men see visions. Is that all right? Yeah. So, so I had a night vision. Woo. I had an experience one time. I better shut up. But anyway. But I had an experience one time where somebody from heaven that was already up there, I was awakened during the night. And I heard their voice. And I, I woke up and I said, Lord, I know I, I ain't got no chapter and verse for this. Yeah. He said, son, he said, when people get to heaven, he said, they're still involved in things that go on on the earth. He said, I've got them praying for you up here. Because at that time, I was going through uh, hell on earth. Yeah. And there's no comparison to going really to hell, but I mean, it was great opposition during that time. And I'll tell you whose voice it was. It was Brother Philip Halverson. You know Brother Philip Halverson? A man noted a prayer. The way he went to heaven, he was at Brother Mac Hammond's church, and they were praying about some things, and he was on the platform. No physical reason why, but all of a sudden they noticed that he wouldn't pray. And he was a man, real, he was a smaller man, but he was a bold prayer. If, you know, and uh, known. He knew Brother Hagin well, too. But he was on the platform and praying, and all of a sudden they noticed he was quiet, and he wasn't moving, and he was pretty active when he prayed. You know, he could pray out a lot of different things. And the next thing you know, they discovered his heart quit beating while he was praying. Yeah, right on the platform on the, of the church. So, of course, they called into, you know, 911 and got the medical people. I guess it was 911 up there. Well, they had Brother Matt Cameron's church. Yep. They got him in. And so, Sister Billy Brim and, and uh, Sister Rachel Tiefteller, they got to praying about it and uh, asking the Lord about it. And the Lord just basically said to him, he said, I had more need of him on this side than y'all did on that side. 
Now, there's some spiritual things that will give you a new hairdo. (laughs) Spiritual things, you know, because the spiritual realm is real. It is very real. But what happens if we get too overly conscious about just the physical world and just constantly live in this realm without stepping over into the spirit? And I'm not talking about getting kooky or goofy because there's a lot of people that have done that. But if you'll remember, we was talking about it, be consistently praying, seeking God last night. If you'll do that, then you'll become conscious of the spiritual realm. I, I, if you can, I'm no, no pressure on nobody. But every day, remind yourself that God lives inside of you. Amen. Remind yourself. He lives inside of you. His spirit, by his spirit, you know. And it'll help you in your life and in your walk. So... When we're praying for the nation, we're going to see these things turned around. We know that the Lord said to me back at uh, Pigeon Forge earlier this year that there would be a shaking that would shake the world, and I believe this is part of it. Then it would be shaking in our political realm, and I believe that's part of what happened in the Republican Party recently. And I think now they're trying to re- reinstate somebody uh, and trying to get somebody back in, in, you know, into the House of Representatives to be the uh, leader of that thing. What do they call them? The Speaker of the House, speaker of the House yes. And they've got people, and I just believe in Jesus' name, they're going to get that worked out. You know what I mean? Everything's going to be good. Yes, now, you thought I was already preaching, but you know me. You know, <laughs> y'all have got me trained. Yeah. Open your Bible. I'm going to show you, share with you something. I ain't going to be real long. And not, well, I ain't going to lie to you either. <laughs> it ain't. But y'all, you, you all, you see, these, these folks just drag me off down them swamps. You know, y'all. Y'all get me out of the briar patch and push me over here and get me down this trail. And it's just, uh, it just starts flowing, revelation knowledge, you know. Romans chapter 8. We'll go at this from a different perspective. But in Romans chapter 8, verse number 14, says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, if you'll look at this in context, you can see something maybe a little different. I'll just throw in as a side journey. But if you'll read verse 13, it says, for if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the spirit, what spirit? The spirit of God. Do mortify, put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. And then it ties that verse into verse 14. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So one of the reasons he's in there, the main reason he's in there is not only just to lead us in the affairs of life, but to lead us away from the flesh into the spirit. Amen. That's what he's saying in verse 13. These tie together. He's leading us out of the flesh into the spirit. And that's what it's up for. As many as are led by the spirit of God, they're the sons of God. Led by what? The spirit. To mortify, put down the deeds of the body that wants to do all these other things. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So I want to talk to you about this thought and idea. I want to talk to you about being led by the Spirit of God in prayer. Amen. Being led, especially in praying for others and having spiritual experiences. Because there are times when you're praying about things and they're not working, and you've been praying for a good while about it, then you may need to make an adjustment in the way you're praying 
or what you're believing. Now, we know this based upon the word of God. If the Bible promises you something, you can believe God for it. And we know the enemy will try to stop it. He'll try to hinder it. But the Bible is still true. Whether you believe for healing, finances, whatever it is, you can stand on that word. But there are things that there's times that God will lead you to do something a little different in order to make that prayer work. So you can't just get on a path and be so adamant that I'm not gonna change. I'm just gonna stay right here and just wait. There's a, there's a time to wait. There's a time to stand. There's a time to walk by faith. But there's also a time to listen to the Holy Ghost. So can I tell you some stories? Are you sure? I don't know if you're ready for them, but here we go. But uh, for instance, Dad Hagen one time and some other folks was praying for this lady. And I'm gonna tell you about some experiences that I've had along this line about being led by the Spirit in prayer. And you can get places much faster in the Spirit if you'll adapt to this kind of thinking. Because if you're praying about something and you run up against a wall, so to speak, you know what I mean? There may be some adjustments that needs to be made or things that need to be changed. And then you need to find out what it is. For instance, when I was telling you about Mr. Trump and the election and, and everything, and, and everybody said, this is gonna happen, that's gonna happen, but I just kept hitting the wall in the spirit. I couldn't hear from God. And, and so I went to God in prayer. And, and when I went to God in prayer, I said, Lord, I said, why haven't I heard from you? He said, because your thoughts are filled with the world's thoughts. I said, do what? He said, you have listened to so many conspiracy theories that now all you know is conspiracy theories because people have sent me this stuff, you know. And of course, I'm just like anybody else, you know. I'm wondering what's going on here, you know. And I said, well, Lord, is that why I haven't heard from you? He said, that's why. I said, what do I do then? He said, this is what you do. He said, pray that my thoughts become your thoughts. Pray that my ways become your ways. Pray that my plans become your plans. Amen. And he said, then you'll be able to hear my voice again. Amen. So you would think if you got that from the Lord that you, it would happen in a matter of a few minutes if you started praying that way. But ladies and gentlemen, it took me a week of praying that way, seeking God before I got my goofy mind straightened out. And then all of a sudden, I began to hear God's thoughts. And then that's when God spoke to me. And I told you what he told me about Mr. Trump and all that. And, and, but then I clearly heard, I clearly. And then he told me, he said, you put it on Facebook. I said, Lord, I am not ready for a crucifixion. <laughs> You know, I rarely, I used to post on there, but I, I rarely do. I mean, I, I, I got a thing up there. I mean, my office puts things, meetings or something like that, but that's not me. You'll see it's posted by K.A. That's Christopher Adams. He's a member of the Adams family. He was kin to Adam. So that's the guy that works for me that does all that stuff. But I, I got my mind straightened out. But let me tell you this, a, a story. Uh, about being led by the Spirit in prayer, especially praying for others, or you can be praying for yourself because it, it works the same way. And I got a lot of stories, but we can't tell them all tonight. We'll, we'll be here forever. But, but just ones that I, I believe it'll help you. But Brother Hagen and uh, another pastor was praying for this lady that had uh, cancer. 
and she was bedridden. And I mean, she was at the point of death. There was nothing that medical science could do. So him, his wife, the other man and, and his wife, the other pastor and his wife, and then a, a couple more people, I think there were four or five people that had gathered in this lady's home and they were gonna pray for her because that's all, all you could do, especially in those days. Right. They didn't have all these uh, chemonology things, you know, and, or whatever. Right, right. <laughs> is, it, is it chemonology, Rex? I see you looking at me. He, I think Brother Rex gets concerned about me sometimes. You know? <laughs> And you should. You may have another prayer assignment. <laughs> but they began to pray for her. And they prayed. And what they'd done, they prayed all day. They would sleep about four hours a night. And they put mattresses in the floor because it was a small home they was in. And so they would pray and seek God and they'd pray, God, you know, heal her, God, heal her. And they'd just pray in the spirit, pray with their own understanding. They'd claim things by faith and all those things are wonderful and good. But after about the second day of praying this way, and I'm talking about, you're talking about almost 40 hours of prayer because yeah. they, they was resting about four hours a day and the rest of it they was praying. Well, they had some mattresses on the floor one of the room and so him and another pastor, the lady slept in one, one of the rooms, you know, they had some beds and they just put a pallet down. You know how to put pallets down? Sure, sure. Y'all know what pallets are in Kentucky? Yeah. yeah, they won't hurt you, you know. And so they just, you know, and they lay down on the pallet after about praying for two days for this lady. Straight, I'm talking about. And he told this pastor that was there with him, you know, sleeping on another pallet. He said, you know, uh, brother so-and-so, he said, I've never prayed this long about anything without getting an answer. So we're taking, talking about 40, 45 hours of prayer maybe. I mean, getting after it too. I ain't talking about just pity-patting around. He said, I've never prayed this long about something without getting an answer. He said, I believe that we're missing it somewhere. And so the, the pastor said to him, the other fellow, said to him, said, well, Brother Rand, hey, what do you think? We're, what we're missing it? He said, you know, we're, we've been praying on the, the sending in. <laughs> you know, God send the power. God said the power. He said, somehow, he said, I believe that we need to work on the receiving end. It's something on our side. Yeah. It's not that God descended. And so he said, I think that we need to change the way we're praying. He said, okay. He said, after we're going to sleep about four hours or so, when we get back in there, he said, uh, well, you tell them about it, you know. So anyway, they, after they slept a little while and refreshed themselves some, you know, then they went back in that lady's room to start to pray. And uh, the, the gentleman, the pastor that was in there with Brother Hagin, he said, now, wait a minute, folks, before we start praying, because they'd already started, you know, Pentecostal, you just drop a hat and they're already praying, you know. And if you didn't drop the hat, they would. So they was going out and he said, now, wait a minute, before, before we get to go, and he said, let me tell you what Brother Hagin told me. He said, he's never prayed this long about anything without uh, getting an answer and getting some results. He said, Brother Hagin, tell them what you told me. And so he told him. He said, I believe. He said, I've never prayed this long about anything. He said, and he said, I got to thinking about it. He said, we've been praying for God to send the power, to raise her up. God do this. God heal her, you know. He said, somehow or another, I sense we need to pray about the receiving side. There's something on this side that we need to do in order to get this thing to work. He said, because we're not getting anywhere. I mean, we're not getting any results. So 
when they, he run up against the wall in the spirit, he wasn't getting any results. What was he doing? He was being led by the spirit of God. He realized that something inside of him was telling him just a little inward witness because a lot of times that's all it is. It's not a booming voice or an angel appearing or Jesus appearing, but that little inward witness, he just knew we got to make an adjustment. We got to make a change. So they all started praying a little different and they began to pray a little different. In fact, before they started praying, the lady that was in the bed dying with cancer, when she heard Brother Hagin say that, she started crying. She said, oh, I know what it is. It's my fault. It's my fault. And he said, no, sister, no, sister. It has nothing to do with you. God loves you. Well, I missed it back then. He said, sister, it don't matter where you missed it. Haven't you asked God to forgive you? Yes. He said, well, you're forgiven because she was taking it on herself, you know, like it was her fault. So he wanted her not to be that way. And so here they are. And, and they started praying. So Brother Hagin was somehow up towards the head of the bed. Mom Hagin was standing there beside him. And they began to pray. And they got praying on the receiving end. Oh, Lord, thank you, Lord. We receive. Lord, we thank you. You're showing us what to do. Lord, we worship you. And they prayed that way for a good while. Then all of a sudden, Mom Hagen had this inclination. She had her eyes closed, but she walked, left his side and walked down to the end of the bed and stood at the foot of the bed. And so, of course, Brother Hagen knew she did. He didn't know why, but she went down there. She had her eyes closed and she's praying in other tongues. And so Brother Hagin just kept praying. They all kept praying. And then all of a sudden, the Lord said to Brother Hagin, he said, go stand at the foot of the bed. And he thought, well, what in the world do I need to stand at the foot of the bed for? <laughs> Listen, if the Lord stands, says stand yeah. at the foot of the bed, Rex, you get yourself down there right now. Right. Just do it. <laughs> get down there right now. If he tells you to go down there, you better get down there. So he, you know, he, he said, so what do I got to lose? I mean, we ain't getting nowhere right here. So he went down, stood at the foot of the bed, and he was standing beside uh, Mom Hagen. When I mean Mom Hagen, I don't know if you, it was Miss Aretha Hagen. That was his wife, Miss Aretha Hagen. So that was his wife. So he went down there and stood behind her, beside her, and then while he is standing beside her, she's speaking in tone, but he heard her speaking English. Go to the head of the bed, that's what it said, the, the spirit of God said to him, go back to the head of the bed and command that spirit to come out of her. Right. Yeah. Amen. And he thought, what? Why didn't I just stand up there? Why did I do it? Yeah. And he thought, well, why should I do that? You know what I mean? The spirit of God said to do it. So he went back up to the head of the bed and said, I command you, unclean spirit, to come out of her in the name of Jesus. And all of a sudden, it was in her chest area. This thing come up, some black looking thing come up. Don't mean she was demon possessed now. You understand that? It wasn't demon possessed or nothing like that. But demons can cause sickness. And that don't mean just because you got cancer, don't get no ideas that you got a demon and everything is a demon because people get demon conscious. I'm just telling you how this stuff works. But anyway, he saw this, this thing that kind of flew up off of her and then it went out towards the window of the house and went right out of there. And the pastor, that other minister that had been with Brother Hagin praying, he said, that thing went right by me, right by me. And that lady rose up off of that bed, totally healed, walked through that house, and I'm glad she didn't have one of them hospital gowns on. You know what I mean? Because... <laughs> You can shine in the behind with one of them things. You know what I mean? But, but she walked through the house. You know, they give you that to humble you in the hospital, you know? But anyway, 
She walked through the house praising God and that afternoon she was sitting in the yard eating watermelon with him and she is supposed to be dead. And she would have died if they had not gotten the answer by asking God, what do we do? So when you're praying about something, don't get discouraged. I mean, you stand by faith that the Bible promises you something, claim it, it's yours, you know? And as a general rule, you're not gonna have to know anything else but just what that word says. But especially when you're dealing with other people, you need to have your spiritual antenna up. I remember I was invited to go to a a senator's house there in North Carolina, internationally known senator, because the Lord had used me in a church over that way over the years and and miraculous things had happened. And so the family uh, started coming, one of the daughters did, uh, that senator started to come to the meetings. She became friends with the pastor and his wife. And so she said to the pastor, she said, do you think that the Reverend Greer would come to our home and pray for my daddy? And he said, well, I'm sure he would, you know. Of course, I would, you know. Would have come. But, I, I, you know, I didn't know what I could do. You know, I, I can't go and, and throw him against the wall and, and make him live, you know, like Smith Wigglesworth unless the anointing's on me. That's right. That's it. Because right. I'm just as human as anybody else. But if the anointing's there, you can do something. Right, right. So anyway, they invited me over. And I'm talking about prayer and being led by the Spirit of God. And he also had uh, cancer. And I mean, this stuff had went to the point uh, that it's just, I mean, he was down almost, uh, as far as I know, he didn't even know I was in the room, you know, when we got there. Well, when we, when we got there, the first thing that we ran into, it was a big palatial mansion. And they uh, had a gate there in a long driveway and it had police officers there because this is a senator, you know, and police officers. And so they had to escort us in and when we got to this big mansion, I was, I was like, oh, uh, who was that? Gomer Pyle? Golly, you know what I mean? I had never seen anything like that in my lifetime. And I thought, am I going in that house, you know, to pray for them? But we didn't go in the house. We went around behind that house and there was another house. It was a big Olympic-sized pool behind that big mansion. And then another house that was bigger than my house that they called the pool house. <laughs> And that's where they were at. So we got out, walked into the room, and when we got in there, they had medical doctors and they had Aryan nurses that they had hired around the clock. They stayed with him, and they also had somebody else in there that was doing what they call chelation therapy. You know what that is, where they put the uh, hook you right up to uh, vitamins and put them right into your veins. In other words, they was trying everything that they could you know, to help him. And they they'd treated him with every lotion and potion that you could that medical science had, strickaline, Valvoline, Maybelline. They had treated him with all of that, you know what I mean? And, uh, and gave him all that stuff. I mean, whatever money could buy, they gave it to him because there was no shortage of money because he was very, very, very wealthy. You can be broke and be elected, but you can be a multi-millionaire in a few years, you know what I mean? It's amazing how this stuff works. Isn't it? Don't get no ideas running now for office. But anyway, 
So we went in, and of course, the pastor, I went with the pastor and all, and I was kind of intimidated, I'll be honest. I'd never been in nowhere like this in my life because they were very nice people, and, and you could just tell. I mean, it was pulling on me when I walked in the door. I could just feel them pulling on me in the spirit. You ever heard Brother Hagin talking about how people would pull him like you'd pull a string? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I could feel them pulling on me yeah. in the spirit. And also, though, I had compassion, great compassion. And because uh, and, and, I knew that compassion, in fact, if you really want to get down to it, compassion is the key to miracles. The Bible says Jesus was moved with compassion and healed the people. He didn't minister healing to get another star in his crown and get notoriety. He ministered to people because he loved them. He was moved with compassion. And so I, I was, compassion come on me, but you gotta have more than that, you know, because I could sense the people that were looking at me, you could see the sad looks on the son's face and, and they were older, you know, and he also owned a communication system. In fact, some of the stations that probably play right here in this area are owned by that company. I mean, it's amazing how much the family owns and how much money they still have today. And so I walk in there and I just kind of stood at the foot of the bed because I had no particular leading, you know what I mean? And I didn't know what to do. And if I'd have had Pastor Cody with me, I'd have put him up there and said, grab him and throw him out of the bed against the wall. <laughs> but he wasn't there. You know what I mean? If I had Pastor Andrew with me, I'd have had her grab him by the feet and jerk him out of the bed. You know what I mean? <laughs> he meant him to live in Jesus' name. But I just kind of stood at the foot of the bed because I was looking at that witness. Remember what you taught me about that inward witness? Because, I mean, I know what the Bible says. The Bible says you lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. But I don't know about this situation. I don't know about this man. I don't I know God wants everybody healed. God wants everybody well. He does. But I also just didn't have an unction. So the pastor said that, that took me over there, and he was a well-respected individual. And uh, he said, Brother Randy, go ahead and pray. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll just scotch for you. You know what I mean by that? I'll just back you up. Well, that's not what they wanted. But I didn't know what to do. So he took off of praying, you know. He was claiming it and praying it, and I'm not belittling it. I mean, you can do that. And he was doing the right things. He wasn't doing wrong things. Don't get me wrong. Yes, sir. But the whole time he was claiming, the whole time he was praying, he was declaring that the man was going to get out of the bed just in my spirit. I just, something ain't right. Something's not right. And, and I couldn't pray that, you know. So finally, when he had prayed this uh, elegant prayer, I mean, I mean, uh, Holy Ghost anointed faith claiming the scriptures and I mean, he'd done everything but jerked him out of the bed, you know. Then he just walked down there where I was at, the pastor did, and kind of grabbed me by the hand and kind of pulled me up towards the front, you know, where this man was at, to the head of this little bed. They had him in a hospital bed, you know. And they they kind of had him up where he could breathe and they had these masks and everything. And so when I reached out and put my hand on him, because up till then I was just scotching, you know. When I put my hand on him and I started to pray, the Lord said this, said, do not pray for his healing. I said, wait a minute, Lord, wait a minute. I'm still praying. You wouldn't mean I'm talking to the Lord in my spirit, but I'm praying out here because I got to act like I'm doing it, you know. (laughs) I said, Lord, what is it? I said, the Bible says you lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. 
they shall recover. Lord. He said, that's true. All of that's well and good. He said, but do not pray for his healings. Pray for his family while you're praying to bring comfort to them. He said, but he's going to die. And I said, Lord, I mean, this is not going to look good. We've got these faith pastors in here and they claim these things. He said, he's going to die. And so I just said to the Lord, now he didn't have to tell me. I said, Lord, I said, why is this precious senator going to die? He said, because he's used his position to take advantage of people and he would not repent of it. Hello. And he said, therefore, he has tied my hands. He tied my hands. Now, that didn't mean, I'm not saying the man went to hell. I don't know. Lord, you know, I'm not saying that. You know what I mean? You know, just because you die of sickness or something like that don't mean you're going to hell. You understand that. So don't get no ideas. He said he's t- used his position to take advantage of people. And he said he's never repented of it. He, and I found out later he was kind of a hard man, tough man. You know, being in the Senate, I guess, like that for years, it just, uh, I don't know, it might make you into that. I don't know. If you don't really walk with the Lord, yeah. he's going to die. So I prayed on for a while, you know, and, and prayed about everything I could, you know, and thought could think about. And, uh, but it, and I was sad, you know, because I, I knew it was going to affect the Beverly, his daughter. I knew it was going to affect his son and all them. I, I knew it because I, I just became acquainted with them by them coming to the meeting for a minute. But uh, when I got through praying, I remember we left out of there, you know, and, and everything, and, and I didn't share anything with them right then at all. But within three days, this senator passed away and to start with then people started to get mad at God then they wanted to get mad at the preacher you know what I mean well I'm here to tell you don't get mad at your preacher just because Pastor Cody Pastor Amber or me or anybody else pray for you you know what I mean if people pass away anyway they may be circumstances you don't know that's right you know what I mean? And that don't mean the person was a bad person. Right. You understand that? Yes, sir. And I'm not saying it has to be something like that. That don't mean that they're mean, but there, there may be reasons. You know what I mean? Now, I said that being led by the Spirit in prayer. So notice how in that prayer, when I prayed for him, I just didn't go and throw the Bible at him. That's right. Come on. Because that is well and good. But when you mature in God with the anointing on your life, you can't pray for somebody to come up from where they're at unless you got it on you first. The Lord said this to me recently within the last month and a half. He said, ministers need to find out, and Christians too, of course, all Christians, but all ministers are, well, is ministers Christians? (laughs) He said, what they need to do is find out. He was talking to me too. Find out how I'm moving and what I'm doing and hook up with me instead of trying to make me hook up with them. He said, many in the body of Christ are trying to make me do something that I don't want to do. And he said, that's why it's not happening. 
He said, you've got to find out what I want to do, which way I'm moving, which way the Spirit is graced to move in that service instead of trying to force me to move away. And, and, and I'm telling you, it can be thoroughly scriptural, but it may not be the way God's moving at the moment. You've got to find out what he's doing and what he's saying. Like if I'd have walked in there and I started claiming all the scriptures, you know, and, and reading the scriptures saying this is what the Bible says, you know, and it would be true and claiming them, this would be true in your life. You'll get up off this bed, you'll live and not die and all that, you know, it wouldn't have worked. And they'd have got mad at me too. You know what I mean? But I didn't do that because I had a sense when I walked in there that something needed to change. So I was being led by the Spirit. I was in uh, Daytona Beach, Florida. I know y'all ready to go to the beach now. <laughs> Just hang on in Kentucky. But I'd went out with a, a pastor friend of mine and I'd been praying for him. I just had to, I don't know, I had a sense he was older than I was, and we always got along good, you know, and I looked at him as my elder. But uh, we had went out to, to eat after a service or something, and he was what I call a food connoisseur. I mean, he knew where the best joints was everywhere. It may be down back a back alley somewhere, and you had to shoot your way in, cut your way out, and all that stuff. <laughs> but it'd be the best food you could ever eat. He knew where them chefs were at down there. We was down there, and we was some kind of Italian place, you know, where they're going to fix it up for him. They knew him when he come in. He's a big, robust man. You could say this about him. My friend was full of the Holy Ghost, I'm telling you. <laughs> he, was, he had it all. I mean, he had a big storage compartment, you know. And so they knew him when he come in the door. Hey there, faster, so and so on. But I just had all this, I just had this something. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know how you have a something? A something is a something, you know? I, I just, in, something, in, something ain't right. Something, my friend, I don't know what it is about my friend. And, uh, and I've been praying for him, but it, it wasn't nothing. I was just like up against a wall, you know? So when you got in there, they had these low-hanging lights and all, and, and it was dim and dark in there. And I always thought they turned the lights down so you couldn't see what you was eating. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's true or not, but I thought they was trying to hide and disguise what they was going to bring up there to you because it might be crawling across a plate or something, you know. <laughs> so so the, it's, it's a booth. It was one of them booths you slide in. It was kind of a rounded thing, you know, and it was had that uh, leather stuff on it. And so... He was going to slide in. I said, no, sir, out of respect. I said, no. I said, oh, let me get in there. I'll slide, you know, around. He said, well, I'll tell you, you sit over here. I'll sit over there. He said, ain't none of the rest of them. He said, I just got a text. They ain't going to make it no way. So we got it to ourselves. We can just eat the restaurant up. <laughs> so I sat down, and he's still talking. He's real jovial kind of guy, you know. And he's still talking and carrying on and everything. And, and so and I, I'm looking up to be respectful. When, when I sat down and slid and got my position and hung on, I looked up at him. I said, uh-oh. I saw a white mask on his face. Now, white mask is what I mean. It's not like a mask that you'd put on, you know. But it's like they do that face painting stuff, and I seen it white, and I knew what it meant. This is what the Lord said. Don't pray for him. He's going to fall dead in his pulpit Sunday morning. I said, Lord, what do you mean? And I was shocked. And I said, Lord, what do you, he said, that's between me and him. Don't pray for him. And that don't mean 
He was a bad man. He was a good man. But that meant that even though I had picked up something, even though I was praying to try to change whatever it was, I didn't know what it was, the Lord shut me down right there and said, don't pray for it. Well, I told one person, and that one person on Sunday afternoon called me and said, guess what? I said, what? He said, remember Pastor so-and-so? I said, yeah, yeah. He said he fell dead in his pulpit while he was preaching this morning. And he did. He did. Oh, everybody getting quiet. <laughs> Listen, you're not going to die. You want me to look and see if you got a mask on? No. No. But again, I was being led by the Spirit of God. You know what I mean? And I'm not glad it happened or anything else. And I'm going to close with this story, and it's going to take me a while to tell it. Is that all right? Are you ready for it? I was in Alabama talking about being led by the Spirit. If you'll follow the Spirit of God in everything you do, the word, number one, is what we hear from God, right? That's what our pastors have taught us, our good teachers have taught us. The word is number one. So you can act on that word, you can stand on that word. But what I have learned over these years from serving God, too, is to keep my spiritual antenna up. Even though I'm believing God for something back by faith, even because I might need to make an adjustment. I might need to change something. You know, I might need to do something a little different. And so what happened was I was uh, in Alabama and I was preaching. And I got up, uh, it was a kind of a weekend meeting. And so I got up on a Monday morning to start to leave Alabama to go to Columbus, Georgia. And when I got up to drive out and go home, because the meeting was over, I had this sense of death about me. Like somebody was going to die, you know. Now this happens periodically over the years. Uh, but anyway, I started headed home and I'm praying in the spirit. And I, I don't know what it is. So when I got home, it was only about three and a half, four hour drive from where we live. When I got home and walked in the door, my wife took one look at me and said, what's wrong with you? I said, honey, I said, I don't know what it is, but I woke up this morning and I said, I had a sense of death on me. She said, it's not me, is it? <laughs> I, said, I said, no. She said, it's not Randall, is it, her son? I said, not that I know of. I said, I, I don't know. I said, so I said, I really don't know. I said, I had stuff. I had to go to the office, you know, and do some things. But all that day, the rest of that day, it just on me. When I woke up on Tuesday morning, that sense of death was so strong. I just told my wife, we had a place out, you know, that property we got and had a cabin out there and everything. I said, uh, I said I'm going out to the property and I said, I'm just going to fast and pray. I said, because somebody's going to die. I said, I don't know if it's me or what, but I got a sense of death and I said, I've got to find out what it is, Amen. you know, in order to change it. I'm talking about being led by the Spirit of God. And so... Uh, I went out there and I told her, I said, tell the office, you know, don't call me unless it's an emergency. You know, then you can call me, but don't bother me. And they, they wouldn't, you know. And so I went out there and I started praying. I started fasting, you know, just skipping meals. And I, I, I would pray and I'd seek the Lord. I would kneel, I would sit down. 
And I'd meditate on the Bible. And I'd done this over and over. And so I kept, this gentleman, this pastor that I know, kept coming to me. But I thought, no, no, uh, it couldn't be him. You know, because every time he had been attacked with cancer, but, and I knew him. In fact, he was one of my board members. But every time I talked to him, it was always a good report. In fact, it was a faith confession. You know what I mean? And faith confessions are good, you know. And I'd been around him. I'd seen him, and he, he looked all right and everything like that. But uh, finally, that evening, I said, Lord, I said, I keep picking him up, but I don't know what to do. And I said, I don't want to call, you know, or, or, or nothing because I don't want to disturb him. But suddenly, I got a phone call. And it was from over there at his family. And his family sent me a message on the phone and said this. They've taken Pastor Danny, that was his name, to the hospital, and they said that he'll never come out alive. And I said, that's it, that's it. So I rushed home, and I got me, I just knew for some reason, I just knew by being led by the Spirit of God, I was gonna be over there for several days. So I got me several suits of clothes, and I took off. And I found out where he was at. He was in Charleston, uh, South Carolina Hospital. So I called ahead, had my office help me out. We got a hotel right there by the hospital. And, uh, and I drove over there at th- that night because my airplane was getting something done to it. So I drove over there and I got to the hospital and I went into the, uh, back to the emergency room. You know, that's the way you could get in. Preachers could get in through the emergency room. So I went into the emergency room and I knew what room he was in and I got up and went up to the floor, you know, third or fourth floor, went in and walked down the hall and uh, the door was open to his room and when I walked in, there stood his, his son, there stood his wife and there stood his mother and he was in bed. And when they saw me, of course, they were shocked and surprised. I told the, the other family member I was coming but they hadn't communicated, you know. And so when I walked in, I could see the look on their face. They was expecting me to take him and throw him against the wall like Smith Wigglesworth did, you know, and command him to live. But you know what? I didn't have the anointing to do it. Now, I could pray for him. So I just went over and I started talking to him. I talked to his son, Pastor Jason. He's now pastoring the church very successfully. But uh, I talked to them, talked to his family, and I prayed for him. And I said, look, I said, I know that I've got to get some rest because if I don't, I said, I'm not going to be any good whatsoever. I said, is he stable? Because he couldn't communicate at that time. I said, yes, he's stable. I talked to the nurse, stable. I said, I'm going. I said, I've got a hotel right here by the hospital. And I said, I'm going to go and get me a few hours, free, few weeks of sleep, and I'll be back at daylight in the morning. And I was. I got up and we started praying. All that day, we started praying. When I walked in, I walked up beside his bed and I grabbed him by the hand and he squeezed me, my hand so I knew he could hear me there. I said, Pastor Danny, I said, I heard you calling me in the spirit. Now, that's another message. I said, I heard you calling me in the spirit. And I said, I'm here to help you. And I said, I've got a hold to you. And I said, I'm not gonna let you go. I said, are you gonna hang on with me? I said, squeeze my hand if you are. So he squeezed my hand. I said, we got this thing. I said, you're coming out of here. I said, you'll live and not die. I mean, and so we got a hold to it. I mean, he had his, his wife and he, his uh, sons and daughter-in-laws and knew, knew how to pray like y'all do. I mean, we got after it. I mean, it wasn't no pity-patty stuff. And, we, and we, it looked like everything was gonna go and make a turn. It looks like things were gonna improve. But at five o'clock that day, and we'd prayed from all that morning, you know, so that would be what, uh, Wednesday morning? Would that be it, Wednesday morning? 
uh, from that, all that morning, Wednesday morning, till five o'clock that evening, all of a sudden, I lost him. Now, what I can compare that to is this. It was a spiritual experience. It's like uh, I've got a boat. I've had it for years. It looks brand new, but it's a 99 model. But I've just taken care of it, you know. It's inboard, outboard. You can ski, you can fish, whatever. And my son, you know, he would kneeboard and stuff like that. And in the river, sometimes you get slicky. And you've got, you know, steps you can pull out and climb up in the boat. And it's got a ledge you can get up in the boat with. Sometimes when you reach down to get him, if he's too slicky, you know, he'll start slipping. And sometimes you can't grab him, you know, and he'll slip back in the water and fall. Right. And when he does, you lose that weight off of him. That's exactly what happened in the spirit with Pastor Danny. Huh. It's like he fell back in the water and I didn't have him no more. Oh and I knew I don't know what to do now because he's not helping me. All I knew is Pastor Danny's no longer helping me. He's not helping me no more. I've got this thing by myself and we're not going downhill, we're going uphill. So I didn't want to say nothing to his family at all. So I just kind of slipped around and quietly went to the door and within a matter of a few minutes and I walked out of that room, uh, hospital, and I went down and I went to my hotel, which is right by the hospital. And I got on my knees I put some instrumental music on. Sometimes that'll help me get in the spirit. And I started weeping and I started crying. And I said, the Lord, you've got to tell me about Pastor Danny and the Pastor Danny. And I just started praying in the spirit. About 20 minutes later, while I was praying in the spirit, I'm talking about being led by the spirit in prayer. After I was praying for about 20 minutes and I didn't ask him, Lord, you've got to tell me about Pastor Danny. This is what the Lord said. The word of the Lord came to me while I was kneeling with my face in that carpet, weeping before God for his life. Because I said to the Lord, Lord, I've lost him. Lord, I've lost him. And I feel like it's my fault. I've been knowing his boy since they was knee high to a grasshopper jumping dishes with soda crackers. That's good country talk for city folks. It is. And I said, they, they, they respect me and they believe in their daddy. And their daddy's a faith man and he was. And I said, they love their daddy. And I said to I said, Lord, I can't let him go. They might whoop me. <laughs> That's some big old boys, you know. I said, Lord, we can't let him go. And the, Lord's, the word of the Lord came to me, and this is what he said. He said, according to divine destiny and based on present circumstances, Danny is going to die. I said, wait a minute, Lord. Lord, what are you talking about? He said, according, the word of the Lord came to me, according to divine destiny and based upon present circumstances, Danny is going to die. I said, oh, Lord, Lord, I know about the present circumstances. He had had cancer in his body and I didn't know it had spread like it had. I said, Lord, I understand that. I said, Lord, but I don't understand what you're saying, divine destiny. You mean it was in your destiny that Danny die? Because that's what I was interpreting, you know? There's another story about Mom Hagen, yeah. and it was in divine destiny that she died. Yeah, that's right. Same story. But Brother Hagen prayed right over him. I mean, Jesus appeared to him yep. Yep. and told him what to do. Right. But anyway, he said, this is what I mean by divine destiny. It's about Pastor Danny. He said, this is what I mean by divine destiny. He said, divine destiny, this is the way he gave it to me. 
is the right of choice that I give to every human being that is born on this planet. Whether they live or die, whether they go to heaven or hell, it is up to them. He said, I divinely granted every human being that right. He said, I have no control over it. And then instantly, with that word of, uh, word of the Lord that came to me, came a revelation. And I realized immediately by revelation that God has never sent anybody to hell, nor will he ever. If you go to hell, it's because you choose to. God doesn't send people to hell. He put a stop sign on the hill of Golgotha. Jesus Christ was the stop sign. But people, God doesn't send them there. He set divine spiritual laws in motion. But if you go to hell, it's because you make that choice. Or if you live on this earth, the longevity of your life is determined by you. It is. You can shorten your life or you can lengthen your life. I grab a hold to the scriptures with long life. Will he satisfy me and show me my salvation? I have a perfect sound mind and memory. All my motor skills and nerves function correctly. All my muscles and sinews and bones are perfectly whole and normal. I'm doing this every day. Because when he told me that, I realized I'm in charge. That's why I look so young. When I look young for 70 years old, I look good. I feel good. Don't Don't make me get James Brown out of you. (laughs) He's from Augusta, Georgia, you know. But uh, so when I seen that about Pastor Danny, this is what the Lord said. He said, according to divine destiny, he said, Danny's gonna die based on present circumstances. I said, Lord, what is that? And he said, it's a right of choice. Divine destiny is a right of choice to give to every human being on the earth. He said, Danny, without your knowledge or the family's knowledge, has made the choice that he wants to come and be in heaven with me. And he said, because he has made that choice, no amount of fasting or prayer will work in his behalf, neither will the gifts of the Spirit go into operation for him because he has requested to me that it not be so and you can't change it. He said, go tell the family that they should release him and let him go. Go tell the family. I said, Lord, I don't want to do that. Lord, I can't do that. I can't do it. And he said, it'll be better if they'll release him. And Brother Hagin taught us something about the gates of death and the jaws of death. The gates of death where it makes it easier on the family and easier on the person going, but sometimes people hang on to people, you know. And they can hang on to them too long. And I know it's because we love people. There's nothing wrong with that, you know. But you can hold people here, you know. But anyway, I said, Lord, do I have to do it now? Because I wanted to prolong it as long as I could. He said, no, you can wait till in the morning. So I decided, well, I'm going to try to get me a few weeks of sleep, you know. So I went back to the hospital the next morning, walked through the door. When I walked through the door, Miss Ginger, his wife, was standing against the wall, and she looked at me with this real 
somber look and said, what did the Lord tell you, Brother Randy? I said, Miss Ginger, everything's gonna be all right. I didn't say he was gonna be all right. But I said, everything's gonna be all right, Miss Ginger. She said, no, I know you. I know you. I've known you for years. You just don't walk out of a room without saying goodbye to people. Said, you walked out of here yesterday about 5.06 p.m. and you didn't come back. She said, I knew God said something to you. I said, Miss Ginger, I said, no, I want to know what God said. So I said, okay. I said, let's talk privately. Of course, her sons, his sons are standing there and daughter-in-laws because they only let an immediate family in there. Of course, the church is there. A lot of the church members there in the uh, uh, waiting room downstairs because we're up on about the third or fourth floor. So I said, well, let's go out to the nurse's station. So we're at the nurse's station. I said, ask the RN out there. I said, can we, is there a place that we could just sit and talk, you know, me and, and Miss Ginger? She said, oh, yeah. Uh, Reverend said, uh, there's a little desk right there. She said, y'all can just sit right there. She don't mind. I got to sit right here. I got to do some paper. I said, that's fine. So I told Ginger, his wife, what the Lord said. And she started weeping and crying. And she said, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I just knew it. Something inside of me told me that, that, that he was going to die. And I said, now, now, Ginger, this is something I don't understand. I said, the Lord told me according to divine destiny that Danny had made the choice to come into heaven and be with me. And she got to thinking about it. She said, you know, about a year ago, we were sitting in our home and he liked to watch gun smoke. You know, Matt, he tried to outdraw Matt Dillon. Yeah. I heard about one guy one time that really shot the TV screen trying to outdraw him out in the country, you know, with a shotgun. But anyway, she said, we were sitting at home and he liked to eat that popcorn, some kind of special popcorn, is watching Matt Dillon on the TV gun smoke, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and he said, all of a sudden, he said, he said, Ginger, he said, when I die, he said, I won't, Brother Randy to preach my funeral. Well, I'm, I'm not a pastor, you know. But, and she said, Danny, don't say that. You're not going to die. That was a signpost on the road. And then she said, for the last several weeks at the house, periodically, Danny would say, do you see that man standing over there? She'd say, Danny, there ain't nobody standing over there. He said, yes, there is. Come on. He said, who is it? He says, an angel. He said, what's he doing? He said, he's waiting on me. Of course, Ginger didn't put it all together. She thought he was just going out of it because of all the drugs they'd given him in the past. Right. She said, I can see it now. I can see it. I can see it. He was making that decision. She said, now you got to go tell my boys. I said, no. Oh, God. There's some big old boys too. I mean, big boys. But we walked in the room, you know, and she called and I said, well, get Mr. Bobby in. I called, that was his daddy. We was close, Mr. Bobby. And he was one of them country boys, you know. He, he would love you and shake your hand or give you the right hook, knock you out. And he was very wealthy, Mr. Bobby. But anyway, I said, get Mr. Bobby in here. I said, he needs to hear this. So he got Mr. Bobby in there, and, and of course, uh, 
Miss Wallace, it was Bobby Wallace, his name's Mama's name was Miss Wallace. And she was in there, everybody, all the, just the immediate family, three sons and, and the, uh, their uh, wives. And I told them what the Lord said. When I said that, Mr. Bobby, Danny's daddy, let out this blood-curdling scream and started crying. And he was a strong bull of a man. He never seen him do anything like that. He said, I knew it, I knew it, because he would never come in and pray with us. I knew he was gonna die. And he burst out of that room and started running down that hall. And I thought, my God, I don't know what he's gonna do. So I chased him, you know, and I got longer legs than he did. And I finally caught him down at the end of this hospital. I mean, he was, the nurses were all coming out of the rooms wondering what was going on. And he was sobbing. That was his baby. I don't care how big you get, you're still mama's baby. I'm mama's baby today. So I got him and I hugged him, you know, and told him, Mr. Bobby, he said, I knew it. I knew it, Randy. I'm not mad at you. He said, I want to get mad at you. I want to hit you. You know, and I knew he did. But he said, I know what you're saying is right. So I went back in the room and his sons were kind of upset, you know, and we got them calmed down. They know me. I've been knowing them since I said little bitty things, you know, and they're up big, you know, and grown. And so they said, well, we can agree to this, but how do you release him and let him go? And I said, well, this is the way I've done it in the past. It seemed like it's, it's failed to me to do this over the years with different ones, you know. Uh, and, you know, it was just my lot somehow. And I didn't sign up for it, by the way. <laughs> so I got them all together around the bed. And I got up there by the head of the bed where, where he was at. And I said, uh, Pastor Danny, I said, I'm here to tell you goodbye. When, he, when I did, I started crying, you know, because I was emotionally attached to him. He was a good friend of mine, you know. And I said, I want you to know that you fought a good fight and that you kept the faith. I want you to know that I'm going to help watch after your sons and watch after your church. In fact, when the Lord talked to me that night, he gave me a four-point message to preach in the funeral. And that's before I ever knew I was going to preach it. I got a four-point message that comes straight from heaven to preach so that church wouldn't fall apart because it was a faith church just like this one is. Faith, I mean, this man had had miracles happen, you know? And I started telling him I loved him and everything was going to be all right, you know, with tears. And then the, the, his son started doing the same thing and telling his daddy how much he loved him and everything. And daddy, we're going to release you. We're not going to hold you here, you know, against your will. You know, the Lord told Brother Randy that you wanted to come home and we don't want to hold you here. And it went to the next one. It went to the next one and got down to his wife. And then the last one was his mother, Miss Wallace. Mr. Bobby Wallace, he made it. He told him goodbye. And there was a lot of crying, you know. A lot of handkerchief blowing and everything going on in the room, you know, you can imagine. Yeah. And then when it got to Miss Wallace, she was directly across from me and uh, his mama. And she looked up at me with a, a pierced sword look coming out of her eyes. And she said to me, she said, Randy, you know I believe in you. She said, but that's my baby and I'm not gonna let him go. I said, Miss Wallace, that's all right. I said, you don't have to. You should never force anybody, you know. You don't have to. Well, everybody was kind of taken aback, you know, because everything had been going the right way. And so she just got her pocketbook. She'd been staying in that room night and day, night and day. She got her pocketbook and left. Well, we didn't know what had happened to her, you know. What happened is she went home. She went to Marion, South Carolina. You know where Marion is? That's north of Charlotte. So she drove home about an hour. She went in her bedroom and got down on her knees and put her face in the carpet and started crying out to God. 
as she wrestled all during the night with God about Pastor Danny. That's her baby. It's the biggest baby I ever saw in my life. I'm here to tell you. He was a big baby. Big baby. But he saw him. And uh, the next morning, about daylight, here come Miss Wallace into the back in the room. I'm there, you know, because I'm staying around the clock now because I know that there ain't no telling what can go on now. And I didn't want to be gone when he went, you know. So she come in the door. The first thing she done, she put her purse down and she come on and put her both arms around my neck. Started telling me how much she loved me. Started crying. I got to crying with her because I knew she was broken, yeah. you know. And the compassion of God was going out. And I said, you doing all right, Miss Wallace? She said, yes. She said, I prayed. And the Lord told me to let him go. She said, this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. But will you stand with me? I said, yes. So I got Mr. Bobby, which is her husband. And we got there and she stood around the bed. All everybody's still standing there and she started talking to him. Oh, you can imagine a mama talking to her baby. Oh, releasing him from this life to go to the next life. And she started talking to her baby and it took her about 45 minutes, you know. And everybody, it wasn't a dry in the room, you know. Even the RN nurse came in and seen what was going on and she was a good Christian lady and she began to weep and cry. She went over and hugged her up, you know, and everything too. And then... Finally, everything relaxed and uh, the nurse had left the room. We were sitting there and within 15 minutes, he took his last breath and I know what happened. I'm gonna take a trip on that good old gospel ship. I'm going far beyond the sky. I'm gonna shout and sing while the heavens ring, while I'm bidding this world goodbye. Pastor Amber, don't make me sing. My God. <laughs> it's called the good old gospel ship. Anybody know that song? Woo! It's an old Pentecostal song. But he took off to heaven. But it all turned out well. I went and preached a funeral that's packed out. I mean, it was standing out in the... Uh, Hallways, the vestibule, packed every room in there. Everything was there. And the brethren, Doc Horton, I don't know if you knew of him. He, he, he's a talker, but he, he's a real big talker. And he was there and he was good friends with him. And I talked to brother Doc and I told him, I said, uh, you know, I said, I know that you got a lot to say. I said, but I got a full point message that I got to preach. So if you'd cut it short, I will, boy. So he did. Anyway, we preached him out and God took care of him and everything was fine and God was with him. So if you'll be led by the Spirit of God and everything you do is going to work out supernaturally and God's going to lead and guide and direct you. Isn't that right? So as you're believing God and especially praying for others, but even praying for yourself, just keep your spiritual antenna up. Now if the Word says that you can have it, you can have it. So tonight is your night. Amen. You can believe God for anything you want to. Let's pray. Father.